You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Continuing to make our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're in that section where Paul is really dealing with a lot of practical stuff. And it's been really good. It's been super down to earth for us. Because Paul's been talking about marriage. And what's more practical than marriage? He's been talking about parenting. And this morning in our text, Paul is going to talk about the workplace and, and what it means to be an employee and what it means to be an employer. And, and that's pretty relevant to, to all of us here. And so these are very practical things and, and things that, that really resonate with all of us. And if you've missed some of the studies, maybe on marriage or on parenting, man, I encourage you to, to get a CD or to jump on the website and to listen to those. Um, I think they will, they will help you in, in those areas of your life. But the context of, of this whole section, as Paul is dealing with these practical matters, the context is verse 21 where he says of chapter 5, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And, and so that's the, the context that, that is laid out here for us is that we submit one to another. That as wives submit to their husbands, so husbands are submitting to their wives by loving their wives. And, and ultimately, a husband is submitting himself to the Lord. And as children submit themselves to their parents, ultimately their parents are submitting themselves to the Lord and, and living in such a way that they're worthy of honor and obedience from their kids. And, and the same is true in the employee-employer relationship. It, it's all sort of falling under this umbrella of submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so let's read our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and then we'll go back and, and we'll see how it applies to our life. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And Father, as we open your word once again, Jesus, we pray that you would capture our hearts, that Lord, these wouldn't be just words on a page, that God, this wouldn't just be information, but Lord, this would, would be that which draws us closer to you than we've ever been before. Give us soft hearts and, and open eyes and open ears to hear what you would say to us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be a place of good soil, that your seed, the seed of your word would go down into our hearts and that it would draw deep roots that would produce abundant fruit in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is writing during a time when slavery was commonplace. It is estimated that there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. Upwards of one-third of the population was a slave at this time. And the slaves of the Roman Empire were, were different from the slaves of American history. These ancient slaves were not such because of race, but due to a myriad of circumstances. They would find themselves under the yoke of slavery. And really the message of the gospel, this message that was perpetuated 
by the Apostle Paul was first brought to these blue-collar, working-class slaves. Many of these slaves were highly educated people who were captured in war and brought to other parts of the Roman Empire and made into slaves. You think of Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a, a physician, but he was also a slave. And so it was different than maybe how we would think of and how we would perceive slavery. It, it was more like what we would think of as the workplace in the 21st century. And so it was among these slaves, it was among these people that the message of Jesus was first received. And as I said, slavery in the first century had many parallels to the workplace of the 21st century. In our culture and in our society, by God's grace, we don't have slaves and masters. We aren't owned by anyone. It's illegal. But the principles given still apply to us as we see them and we filter them through what we would understand as the employer-employee relationship. In Ephesians 6, 5-9, through 9, Paul addresses both Christian slaves or employees and Christian masters, employers, commanding them both to conduct themselves in accordance with the example of Jesus. That's the key here. That all of these things are in regard to the example of Jesus. And this was necessary because like employer-employee relationships today, the slave and master relationship was commonly one of turmoil and was not very healthy. And often they sinned against one another. And so we're going to see two main points in our text this morning. If you're a note taker, duties for employees and duties for employers. Pretty simple. Duties for employees, verses 5 through 8. The first thing that we see under the duties for employees is there is an activity, a responsibility for employees. It says bond servants or employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Be obedient. The activity that is required, the responsibility that is asked by God of Christian employees is simple. Obey your boss. The word obedience here is the same word used in verse 1 of chapter 6 for children and their parents. Basically, it means to do what you're told as long as it's not immoral or opposed to God. That you would do what you're asked to do. Like wives and children, employees are to submit themselves under the authority that God has placed in their life. And that's the thing that we have to, to understand is that in all of these things, this authority has been placed upon us by God. And we're taught in our culture to resist authority, right? The bumper sticker, question authority. And we've been doing that since we were kids. We, we resisted the authority of our parents. We resisted the authority of our teachers. We've resisted the authorities of, of the police officers and, and the law makers. We've resisted the authority of our employers because we don't want to be told what to do it's part of our flesh it's part of our fallen nature we're prideful we don't want to have someone over us but the lord tells us here if you are an employee your number one responsibility is to do what you're asked to do now that's a simple activity 
But then there is an attitude within that activity that's very important. Because you can do what you're told to do, but do it with a completely wrong attitude. Just like children, right? They can do what they're told, but have a really bad attitude about it. And what that does is that negates the reward that we would receive from the Lord. Because what he says is, look, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it with the right attitude. If you don't do it with the right attitude, it negates the activity. You might as well not do it at all if you're going to do it with the wrong heart. And so there are three attitudes that Paul addresses here that really describe for us the proper way in which the activity should be brought about in our life. The activity, obey your employers. The attitude, well, first of all, it's to be done with sincerity of heart. He says, obey your masters according to the flesh. These masters are over us in the flesh, but we ultimately have a master in heaven. But these are our masters and our authority in the flesh. Obey them with fear and trembling. Now, this doesn't mean that we show up to work every day scared for our lives. Paul uses this same phrase, fear and trembling, when he talks about making sure that you're saved. When he says working out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means you're engaged in it. It means that you care about it. It means that you're passionate. And so the first thing is he says, do with fear and trembling. Care about it with sincerity of heart. And so the first attitude is this sincere heart. And this sincere heart states the spirit in which obedience was to be rendered. It's not in formality. It's not with pretense or with hypocrisy. But it's an inward reality, an inward sincerity. It's with an undivided heart. Paul restates this point at the end of verse 6 where he says, doing the will of God from the heart, from the soul, from your emotions. It means you care about it. It means you're engaged in it. The job that you have, that you understand that there's more to it than just showing up to get a paycheck. That your heart is, is into it for as long as the Lord has you there. That you're going to give your best. An undivided heart. That's what he's talking about. And he says, not with eye service. And so that's the second attitude. It's, it's with a sincere heart, but it's not with eye service. Verse 6. And what does that mean? Well, Paul is really having his finger on the pulse of how many employees do their job. And that is really well when someone's watching, but really crummy when no one is watching. So this not with eye service means that obedience and doing a good job should occur whether the boss is watching or not. Now, between uh, my summers in, in college, uh, I would uh, work for a utility company up in Washington. My dad worked there, and, and I would get a job in the summertime. And it basically was you know, a, a grunt. It amounted to a lot of ditch digging and you know, doing what the, the pipe fitters didn't want to do. It was a gas company. And so we would go out on these various jobs and, and you know, oftentimes it would be in the middle of the street and you'd be digging up a hole and digging up pipes and fixing things and replacing pipes or whatever. And sometimes the, the job that you were on might get done like at 2.30 in the afternoon and you were supposed to be back to the shop by 4 and clean out the truck and kind of, you know, get things ready and you were done by 5. 
So 2.30, I mean, hey, you don't want to drive across town and start up another job. And by the time you get all the tools out of the truck and, and you know, start to go and get the, the cones out and everything, by that time, it's time to head back. So oftentimes, these guys just be like, hey, let's head up to, you know, this secluded neighborhood, park in the shade, and just, you know, sit there for a while and drink coffee. And, and they would do this regularly. And I got to realize that there was a lot of in, inefficiency in, in this company. That, you know, there's a lot of wasted time. But, of course, if the supervisor was on that particular job, and the job ended early, and he'd be like, well, where are you guys going next? Oh, we're going over here, you know. we we got lots to do, you know. And they would never do that. But the majority of the time, there's no one watching. So you just go park the truck and take a nap. Then show up at the shop at four o'clock and pretend like you've got a lot to do, clean out the truck a little bit. And basically you're getting paid for two or three hours of doing nothing. And as a college student who just had a summer job, I mean, I'm not going to argue with the guys. It's not my job to tell them how to do their full-time permanent job. I'd get thrown out of the truck. But as I just sort of evaluated and watched, I thought, man, this is a lot of hypocrisy. This is a lot of eye service. And obedience should occur whether the boss is looking or not. We need to, to be people that understand as employees that the Lord is always watching us. The, the boss can only be watching you when he's in your presence. But the Lord is everywhere all the time. He's evaluating what we're doing. And I don't think he thinks it's real cool when we only work hard when our employer is watching. I think that's hypocrisy. I think as a Christian, that's a tragedy. He says a third attitude, a third description of what it really means to be obedient to your masters is that it is not as men-pleasers. Verse 6. Not as men-pleasers. What is a men-pleaser? Well, it's basically someone who knows how to brown nose, who knows how to kiss the backside of their boss who knows how to butter them up, who knows how to say the right thing at the right time, and, oh, this is the most amazing place, and you're the most amazing boss, and did you know you're the smartest person I've ever worked for, and you're so talented, and, you know, but then when they're not around, over lunch, when it's just a bunch of employees sitting around, you're just ragging them down. That guy's an idiot, stupid guy. And that's what it means to be a men-pleaser. It means that your obedience is not genuine. It's just simply brown-nosing to gain favor with the boss. And we've all worked with people like that. We've all worked with people who just say the right thing at the right time. I used to work at Costco. And Costco is a big corporation. And so when you work for a big corporation, you have to deal with corporate, right? And, and they are supposed to show up like, you know, un unannounced. Big surprise. But the, the store that they left from would always call the next store. And they'd be like, hey, you know, just a heads up. They just boarded their little Learjet, and they're, they're going to be landing like in a half an hour. So, you know, just be aware. They're coming. So then all of a sudden, you know, it's like APB. All the managers are all of a sudden just the hardest workers. They're all out of their offices. And the supervisors are yelling out orders, do this and do that. And, and they would show up, and it was a big deal. And I worked in the meat shop. And my manager had been in the meat business for his whole life. He started working at a meat plant in Iowa when he was like 14 years old. And all he'd ever done was cut meat. 
He got this, you know, kind of what he considered to be a cush job at Costco, kind of go out, retire, good benefits, but he hated authority. And he hated being told by these people that didn't have a clue in his estimation about cutting meat and about meat marketing. He hated being told what to do. And so here would come the meat manager for the whole West Coast, the corporate guy, who consequently had never cut meat in his life. He was just a corporate guy. In fact, he was the manager of the Ben store for a while after, you know, after this. But he would show up and he would say, look, uh, you need to uh, change this and you need to uh, do this and this is what corporate wants now and you've got to shrink this and expand this. And so Tom, the manager, hey, Ryan, do this, do that. And oh, man, he was a man pleaser. He could just put on a show of what to do. And I mean, we would do it to perfection. Then we'd wave goodbye to the corporate guys and guess what Tom would tell me to do? Put it back the way I had it. That's how I want it. So I would go and I would put it all back the way Tom wanted it. And I would think, what a joke. That's what it means to be a men pleaser. And so the attitude, it's with a sincere heart. It's not with eye service. It's not as a men pleaser. That's the attitude that as a Christian employee we need to have. And so there's this activity of being obedient. There's the attitude, but then there's also an awareness. There's an awareness of why we do this. And there's two things. First of all, because we're really serving Jesus. In parts of verses 5, 6, and 7, he says this. The end of verse 5, as to Christ. The end of verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, as to the Lord and not to men. And so we understand that we're actually serving Jesus. That that is our ultimate authority. And so when we wake up after hitting the snooze bar 14 times, and we get dressed, and we head down to work, we remind ourselves, I'm not serving so-and-so. I'm not working for this company. I'm serving Jesus. He's my boss. And no matter how bad it gets today, I'm serving Jesus. And we have to, to picture maybe that horrible employer as Jesus, and that we're responding to Jesus. Another job I had when Andrew and I first got married, and you know when you first get married, you don't have one good job, you have like three bad jobs. And that's what I had. Three jobs, worked like 50, 60 hours a week, made, the, I worked three jobs. My first year of marriage, I made $14,000 working 50 to 60 hours a week. People complain to me about what they make. I'm thinking, that's a lot of money, you know, compared to what I made when I first got married. I mean, I just worked my tail off. And I worked for this guy, I can't remember his name, but I know the name of the company, D&D Trees. D&D Trees. This guy had a little business, you know, he'd go and trim trees. And in Washington, the trees are monstrous. And so it's a big job. And we'd pull up at these houses, and he'd go up in the boom, and he'd start the chainsaw, and he's just letting limbs fly. They're hitting me in the head, and you got to drag them around the house. And these limbs are as big around as a tree around here. These limbs are like this, and you're dragging them, and you put them in the chipper, and it almost sucks you into the chipper. And every time, you're scared for your life. <laughs> and this guy was... He was just the epitome of a jerk. There's just no other way to describe this guy. And he would get up in his boom and he would have the chainsaw and he's dropping stuff on my head and he would be cussing me out all day long. Just And, and I've never met anybody that could put profanity together so articulately <laughs> as this guy. I mean, he could just 
flow with it, right? And one day, I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Because, you know, a lot of times the, these really big houses that sat out on the Puget Sound, they'd be the ones that would want you to come and trim their trees. And, and we're out in the middle of nowhere, and he's dropping limbs on my head, and he's cussing me out. And I almost set down my saw, because I would be down there cutting the little limbs up or whatever. And I almost set down my saw, and I almost walked off. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care if I'm wearing chaps and a hard hat. I'm going to hitchhike. And I'm going to get back to town and I'm done with this guy. And it's it. I'm through. And the Lord just reminded me, look, just continue to do what you're doing. Just work hard. Put in an honest day's work. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to bless you. And so I continued to do that. And eventually I got on at Costco full time. And, and, you know, because I was working both those jobs. I'd work for him for part of the day and then go work for Costco. And, and then he said, I, you're on full time at Costco, huh? And I said, yeah. Because he was always real nice on the way home. Way home, this guy was nice as pie. You know, he just cussed you out all day. And now he wants to be your buddy. And, oh, you're working at Costco? Yeah, you know, full time there now. And he's like, you know, it's probably better for both of us if, if you just, you know, go. Yeah, you're probably right. And so he just kind of released me, and I was done with that. And, and that was it for my tree trimming career. But we have this awareness that we're really serving Jesus and not men. And sometimes people can be very difficult to work for. And another perspective, another way in which we need to be aware to help us to have the right attitude in our activity, which is obedience, is that we will be rewarded by Jesus. So we ultimately work for Jesus, and ultimately our pay will come from Jesus. As he says in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does... So, hey, you do a good job at work, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so we remind ourselves that we're working for Jesus and that we will be rewarded by Jesus. When we do a good job, we're storing up treasures in heaven. And we often think, well, man, I've got to go to the mission field. I've got to be serving down at the church. I've got to be doing something I absolutely hate. You know, I've got to be serving soup over there at the Oasis. I've got to be changing some old person's diaper in order for me to be storing up my treasures in heaven. And we forget about the fact that on a daily basis, we have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. Go to work, put in an honest day's work, be on time, have a smile on your face, do what you're asked to do. And guess what? You've just put yourself in an elite class because those people don't exist. Very often. Because most people show up late. Most people complain. Most people don't work very hard. They get by with as little as possible. And so you put yourself into an elite class when you do that. And you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's an awesome thing. And if you aren't rewarded temporally with maybe a raise or a better position, you will be rewarded eternally. And so work hard. Show up on time. Do what you're told to do. Don't gossip and complain. Don't work only when people are looking. Don't be a men-pleaser. And so in summary, the Christian employee's work should be wholly, H-O-L-Y, different by respecting people in authority. That's huge. Respecting them and working for them as if you're working for Jesus. We should also work with heartfelt commitment, especially when we're not supervised, especially when no one is watching. 
And we need to remember that ultimately we're working for Jesus and we'll reap eternal rewards. And you might think, well, you know what? You don't understand the, the company, the person that I work for. I mean, all this sounds really cool. This sounds good in an ideal world, but the ogre I work for is, it, this is just not going to work. Well, Jesus is our example. And that's what I love about Jesus. Is He tells us to do stuff. Wives, He told you to submit to your husbands. You think, well, you know what? That is ridiculous. But Jesus did it. Jesus submitted Himself to the Father. He says, children, obey your parents. Jesus did that. Have you ever wondered, like, why Jesus was born as a child? I mean, what was the point? How about just make Him, like, 33, and, you know, go to the cross, and, and, and bam, it's done. You know, why, why have to live out the whole life and all of that stuff? And why isn't it talked about? Why isn't His life really mentioned? Well, here's the thing. Jesus lived like all of us. He was a child. He was obedient. He did all of those things. He can say, I've walked in your shoes. No matter what phase of life you find yourself in, He worked a job. He put up with ogres for bosses. And ultimately, Jesus is our example of what it means to be a good employee, to be a servant, to be obedient. And you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter really nails it. He says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And so it's real easy to be obedient to the guys that are cool, ones you want to work for. But the harsh employees, that employers, that's difficult. And we have to remember that Paul is writing to people that were being beaten, not just yelled at. Paul's writing to guys that might get killed if they didn't do the right thing. They showed up late. It wasn't like, hey, uh, you're going to get a letter in your box. It was like, hey, we're going to cut your toes off. And so this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, if you're an employee and you're being an idiot and you're getting chewed out for it, don't feel sorry for yourself. You're just getting what you deserve. If you're late... If you're not doing a very good job, if you're being insubordinate, you deserve to be chewed out. You deserve to be fired. Don't say, oh, I'm suffering for righteousness' sake. No. He says, what credit if you're, is it if you're beaten for your faults? Get over it. But, he says, this is the cool stuff. Here's where we're, we're being like Jesus. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So you show up on time, you do a, a great day's work, you make your boss money, and he still doesn't like you. He still doesn't compliment you. He still doesn't give you a raise. If you take that patiently, this is commendable before God. Four, to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus endured all of that, didn't even open his mouth, didn't complain. In fact, from the cross he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It's amazing. And so, when you're sitting around 
the break room table, what kind of words are coming out of your mouth? How are you responding to the way that you're being treated? Is it like Jesus or is it in the flesh? We are to serve Jesus, not men, because we will receive rewards from Jesus and not men. And so Paul really nails it for employees. But then in verse 9, he gives us the duties for employers. Paul gives us three responsibilities for employers to employees. First of all, they must seek the welfare of their employees. He says there in verse 9, do the same things to them. If the employer expects the employee to do the best job for him, he must do his best for them. The employer must put Jesus first and serve the Lord from the heart if he expects his employees to do the same. And I think a great example of this is Boaz from the book of Ruth. Boaz is going out in Ruth chapter 2 and he's, he's meeting with his employees and he's, he's watching and overseeing the work that's being done. And Boaz says to his employees, he says to them, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. And they say to him, and God bless you. And so there was this great relationship that Boaz had with his employees. There was this wonderful dynamic that was taking place. He didn't go out and chew them out. He didn't go out and tell them how horrible they were and that he was going to fire them if they didn't get their act together. He went out there and he said blessings upon them. And they said blessings back to him. There was a great relationship. And that's how employers should be. They must seek the welfare of their employees, caring about their families and their time and what they have going on in their lives. And not just thinking about how they can make you money or using them as a tool to further your goals, but seeing them as a real person who has real needs and desiring to, to be a blessing to them. Another thing that an employer needs to do is that they must not threaten. He says giving up threatening there in verse 9. Instead of motivating through fear and intimidation, Paul exhorts that employers motivate by being just and fair. He says just that in Colossians 4.1, which is like the parallel passage here. He says, Masters, treat your servants, your employees, justly and fairly. Employers should treat their employees fairly. What does that mean? Well, I think it means paying them competitively. I think it means giving them raises when they deserve it and, and as a cost of living, understanding that, that things get more expensive and that they need to, to be paid more. I think it means verbally affirming them. I, I think it means sharing the profits, if you can, with your employees. Not just hoarding it for yourself, but, but being very generous. And here's the thing. When you do that, you will be someone that people want to work for. And you will keep good help. You can always tell the health of a company by the tenure of its employees. If an employee is only there for six months or a year and they get burnt out and they go somewhere else, that says to me you're not doing a very good job of overseeing and caring for your employees. Giving people a good work environment. Giving people a place to work that's enjoyable. And these are things that when I used to own a small business, I failed in all the time. But man, good employees were hard to come by. And when I had one, I wanted to keep them. And one of the best employees I ever had was a guy named Kyle. And within a few years of working for me, I made him a partner because I was 
planting the church here, and I was getting busier here, and so I was kind of dividing my time, and I brought Kyle on as a partner, and within a couple years of working for me, I split the business with him, because he was a good worker, and he showed up on time, and he knew what he was doing, and he was good with the customers. And so being a good employee will put you in an elite class where you will be rewarded for that. I can almost guarantee you, because there aren't a lot of them out there. Show up on time. Do a good job. Don't complain. Do what you're told. If your company will pay competitively, will honor and verbally affirm its employees and reward them financially and with a good work environment, you will have good employees. And so it works sort of in tandem. And then the last thing that an employer needs to be is submitted to Jesus. Needs to be submitted to Jesus. Needs to do the same things to them. Having their welfare in mind, he needs to give up threatening. And he needs to be submitted to Jesus as he says, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In other words, again, we recognize that we are being watched in all that we do, that God is evaluating what we do, and he's watching us as leaders and as employers and as bosses. And he's seeing the way we treat people, and we will give an account for that, and there's no partiality with him. He's not impressed with our title. He's not impressed with how many people work for us. There's no partiality with God. And so we need to be submitted to Jesus, to our own master. The person who is not under authority has no right to exercise authority. The, the first requirement for being a leader is that you know how to be led. Jesus said a good leader must first be a good servant. Remember when the disciples were like all freaked out about who was going to be the greatest? Mark chapter 10, I mean, who's going to be the greatest among us? I think it's going to be me. No, it's me. And they were bickering back and forth, and Jesus was like, what are you guys talking about? Well, you don't have to tell me. I already know. Look, if you want to be the greatest, Jesus said, then you will be a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And so in order to be a good leader, you need to be a servant. And any good leader that you will have, is someone who has been under authority in their life, that they've submitted to authority, that they know how to take orders, that they know how, like Jesus, to gird themselves with a towel and to wash their employees' feet, to be a servant. If you look at the Old Testament, many of the Old Testament leaders were first servants. Think about Joseph. He served his brothers. Then they sold him. They threw him in a ditch. He got bought by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife was seducing him. Potiphar was, you know, doing who knows what. He made Joseph second in command because Joseph was faithful to just do a good job. He was faithful to not sleep with his wife when he had opportunity to, but for that he got thrown in prison. And then ultimately, through a series of events, he found himself in the very house of the Pharaoh, and again he did a good job. He showed up on time, he worked hard, he was honest. And before he knew it, he's the second in command of all of Egypt. And God orchestrated the whole thing. But he started as just a servant. Just a guy showing up, doing what he was asked to do. Think about Moses. He's out tending the sheep. Moses was a highly educated guy. He grew up with the finest education, with the finest upbringing. It would be like growing up in royalty in England. And then the next thing you know, you're working on a pig farm. And that was Moses. And Moses was out there, and he's tending sheep, and he's doing his thing. 
for 40 years. Doesn't complain. He's quoting philosophers and, you know, he's, he's pondering great scientific theories. Meanwhile, he's tending sheep. He doesn't think he's too good for that. He's just doing it. Showing up on time. He's putting up with his father-in-law, Jethro. I've worked for my father-in-law. It's not real easy. He's doing a good job. Jethro likes him. And then all of a sudden, a burning bush talks to him. That doesn't happen every day. And who knows, maybe you'll show up at work and the soda machine will start talking to you and telling you <laughs> that the Lord's got something for you. But you, you show up daily and you do a good job. And that was Moses and the, the burning bush said, look, I want you to go and I want you to free my people. Two million. Talk about a promotion. You were tending a few sheep. Now you're overseeing two million people, one of the most important events in human history. Moses was a servant. Joshua, just faithfully serving under Moses, not usurping his authority, not trying to take his place, not trying to promote himself. But then one day, Moses blows it. Sorry, Mo, you can't take him in. Joshua's going to do it. Really? Me? Think of David, out tending the sheep, the least in his father's house. They didn't even bother to ask him to come when Samuel showed up to anoint the next king. Yeah, you just stay out here. It's going to be one of us. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be you. You're the run. You just stay here. Take care of the sheep. We'll be back later. Samuel goes through all of them. Nope, 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 nope. Do you have any other sons, Jesse? Well, yeah, I mean, I got the little the little kid out there, but I mean, we didn't even bother bringing him. Well, go get him. And sure enough, David was the one. God was calling. He was faithful. David didn't complain. Hey, why don't I get to come? Isn't this an equal opportunity place of employment here? No, he just did his job. And he was rewarded for it. Think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And we think, ooh, that sounds cool. He worked for the king. No, basically what it meant was he got to eat the food that might be poisoned and drink the wine that might be poisoned from all the king's enemies. Here, eat this. See if it has arsenic in it. Well, wait, if you don't die, it's safe. Here's some wine. Hopefully it's not poisoned. If it is, Lord bless you. And there's Nehemiah just faithfully doing what he's called to do. And the Lord puts a burden on his heart to go and to rebuild the wall in the, in the city of Jerusalem. Pretty awesome thing that he was allowed to do because he was faithful to do what we might consider a dirty job. And so each person, you guys, husband, wife, child, employer, employee, must first be submitted to Jesus. That is the key. If you're not submitted to Jesus, then you will be a lousy wife, a lousy husband, a lousy child, a lousy employer, a lousy employee if you're not submitted to Jesus. So first you submit yourself to Him. And then everything else is just a natural byproduct of that. And so in summary, the duties of the employers is that we need to treat employees fairly. Treat workers as Jesus would treat them. Don't live up to the reputation of being unfair, mean, and cheap. Motivate workers without threats and without violence, as he said there. Letting go of threatening. We've all worked for employers that use fear as a way to motivate, and it doesn't work. It just makes you hate them more. We need to conduct ourselves in such a way in business that Jesus would reward us. In many businessmen and many employers, I mean, wow, they are good at what they do and they are conducting themselves in such a way that they will be rewarded temporally here on this earth. And they're making bucks and they're building stuff and their names on things. But they're not conducting themselves in such a way that they will be rewarded eternally. And so all the buildings, all the employees, all of the accolades 
All of the money is going to burn. But guess who you're going to bring with you? Your employees. And how are we treating them? People are the only eternal thing that we have to invest in. And so the bottom line, employees, work hard. Show up on time. Do what you're told. Don't gossip. Don't complain. And God will reward you for it. If not temporally, eternally. Employers, love your employees. Treat them well. Care about them and their families and their feelings and what's going on in their lives. Reward them with a good salary. Treat them like you would a son or a daughter. And if they're not working out, then gently let them go. You know, don't have to keep somebody who's dead weight. But the people that are doing a good job for you, treat them well. Realize something. Leaders, employers, if they had all the skills that you did, they would have your job. So in some ways, we can rejoice that they don't have all the skills we do. Otherwise, they'd take our place. And so we have to be patient with their faults and foibles and failures. It's a good lesson for us. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. Lord, we thank You that these simple truths, Lord, are, are not complicated. Lord, they're, they're not difficult to ascertain. But Lord, they are in a lot of ways very difficult for us to apply. And so, Lord, we, we don't want to just be hearers of Your Word. God, we want to be doers of Your Word. Lord, we don't want to just have these things go in one ear and out the other. God, whether we're an employee this morning or an employer, God, we want these truths to grip our hearts. And we want to make an application of these things in our life. God, help us to submit to the authority in our lives, Lord. Help us to be faithful with what You've given us knowing that You are always watching, knowing that, Lord, we're ultimately accountable to You. We thank You for this time. May these principles and truths bear fruit in our life. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.